Welcome to 49ers Access. My name is Sterling Bennett, and this is episode number 60. Yes, a round number 60 of the podcast. And today, we're going to react to the awful, disgusting, ugly loss against the Seattle Seahawks. And I want to start off today's show by just taking a collective breath. <laughs> it's a game I think a lot of us went into thinking, well, you know, Seattle's 3-8. We should be able to win this game. This is a game where it finally made Niner fans feel like, we got this. Like, Seattle stinks. We're riding high, three straight wins. We're back in the playoff picture. Like, who can stop us? To quote Jim Harbaugh, who's got it better than us besides the other five seeds in the NFC? But even with that, we're on the heels of the Los Angeles Rams for that fifth seed. So, who's got it better than us? And just like that Jim Harbaugh era, the answer, for whatever reason, is still the Seattle Seahawks. Now, yes, they are 4-8. and eight. We are 6-6. Six and six. Uh, Still the seventh seed in the playoffs. One game behind Washington. Pretty much a half a game behind Washington, if you want to put it that way. For the sixth seed, we're now again two games behind the Rams for the fifth seed, with five games left. And again, it's really hard... To not, not to wrap my mind around the idea of losing, because I talked about it previewing the game, that look, yes, we're better than this team. We should beat this team. The Seahawks have struggled. They're not that good. But I gave areas as to where this team could beat us. And while maybe all those things didn't come true, those areas weren't exactly the important areas to focus on today, this game looked very much how the Niners played the Colts game, the Packers game, sprinkled in with some of the the good things we saw the past three weeks. It was like we regressed halfway, you could say. But the issue is, is that you're playing a team, a divisional opponent, where people wanted to call it a trap game. I said, this is not a trap game. Any division game is a game you can lose. Really, any game you can lose, albeit playing Jaguars or a team like that. But... There are no division trap games. It's divisional football. Whether it was the Harbaugh era, the Alex Smith era pre-Harbaugh, whether it was Nolan or whatever other coach want to put in their Singletary, the Cardinals always played us tough. And ever since Harbaugh, the Seattle Seahawks have always played us tough. I remember, I think I was like 13 years old, was going to play laser tag on my birthday, Niners Seahawks at the old Candlestick Park, and Sean Alexander had like 120 yards, and they beat us. Matt Hasselbeck was playing quarterback, and they beat us. A division game is never a trap game. If you're the lowest team in that division, you are always trying to punch up. You're trying to play spoiler, especially three-quarters of the way through the season. And so was I surprised yesterday, that being Sunday, that we lost? I mean, technically, yes, because we should have won that game. Even not having Debo and Fred Warner... We should have won that game. We were in position to win that game. Up at halftime. Didn't score any points. Any points in the second half. In fact, the Niners, I mean their offense, and I guess you can say the defense as well, but the offense in particular, were the first team since the Broncos on December 20th, 2015, to score 23 plus points in the first half. And zero in the second half. Denver, when they did it, they lost 
34 to 27 to Pittsburgh. A Niners team hasn't done what we did on Sunday since 1991. It seems like every single time they get our hopes up, at least this year, (laughs) for what it's worth, every single time we feel like we're back, we feel like, okay, like we're gaining momentum, we get a smack in the face. We get our teeth knocked in. And while the score may not say, well, we got our teeth knocked in seven points, really three yards away from tying the game up late to push it to overtime, this game felt much more like a kick in the mouth. Like like we got kicked by a horse back 10 feet. Like we got bucked off the NFC playoff picture, the playoff horse. And I've been saying, you know, since the loss that every Seattle loss if we were 11 and 0 going into this game and we lost to Seattle now you might say, well, every team has one of these games, but even if we're 11-0, losing to Seattle would feel like a demoralizing defeat. Because it's Russell Wilson, who, oh, Hall of Fame caliber, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame practice kind of guy. Pete Carroll's gum-chewing, fake George Washington wooden teeth smile. Like, Niner fans hate these guys. Respect them, by all means, respect them for how great they've been, how good they've been in their tenure, but it's almost like the antagonistic kind of nature of this team of what Seattle was able to accomplish, we almost had. And every time we travel to the land of voodoo donuts and black magic and witchcraft, <laughs> that being Seattle, Lumen Field... What's the worst that can happen? Oh, we lose. No, no. The worst thing that could happen is your special teams player, Trenton Cannon, has to go to the hospital. They have to bring an ambulance out. And by God, I hope he's okay. But, and not to forego his health for that conversation, but what a way to start. Six and five, feeling good. How about one of your special teams players almost breaks his neck on the first play of the game, halts play for eight to ten minutes. Oh, and then then you can go out and take the field. Like, as a player, you're amped up, you're hyped, ready to go. You're ready to run through the Seahawks. You're ready to leave Seattle, Lumen Field, seven and five. Hopefully, if not be tied, still one game behind the Rams. Keep looking up. In the playoff picture, we can beat Dallas, we can beat the Cardinals, and it's like going through every team of we're playing so well, we can beat anybody. But the first play, and I'll tell you a story about my life here. I'm fairly young, I just turned 25. But in high school, uh, I'm someone who's very loyal. I'm someone who, whether it's to the Niners or to people, if you do me right, I'll have your back. Now, I'm also someone who has very few people in my life like that. I'm very guarded. People don't know me very well usually. But in my life in high school, I'm a very loyal person. And like most men who are maybe guarded or in most men in general, we fall in love pretty quick, right? The high school love we all have or had had in our lives. And sometimes that hits. 
And you're like, man, like, I, I love this person. Now, we all know that love isn't forever. It's usually not a long-lasting thing, which is why high school sweethearts are, are very much a minimal 1% of marriages in this country. Probably the entire world, to be, to, for a matter of fact. But my point more so is that despite you, you feeling the butterflies, despite the love level being high, you're in the midst of that small honeymoon phase just like winning three games in a row of like, we're back, we're going to win, we're going to beat Seattle, do what we haven't been able to do in forever, finally knock off, end the era of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. Return the favor that they did to us. Keep riding that high. Oh, in high school, during my, my phase of love, you could say, my high school love, my blind love, I got that kick in the teeth. The, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not feeling it anymore, as many high school relationships end that way. That's how it felt on Sunday. Now, again, maybe a little more emotional in high school, albeit, but this fan base, at certain points, is pretty much like high school students. Emotional. And I get it. We are faithful till the end. And every single time we lose to Seattle in Seattle, that hurt, that wound, gets ripped open again. Even if we beat them in Santa Clara earlier this year when it was Jimmy, then Lance. Even if we beat them and won 31-28 because Lance led us back. Even if we beat them and then traveled to Seattle and lost yesterday by the same score and the same thing happened, it would hurt more than the win felt good. It doesn't matter what happened prior to Seattle Week. The only thing that matters is what happens during Seattle Week. It's very much like a, a college rivalry, you could say. This is Oklahoma versus Oklahoma State. This is Michigan-Ohio State to us. And we feel like Michigan right now, who was like oh for their last 19 against Ohio State. Despite having some good teams mixed in there, despite maybe having a team some would say is better than Ohio State. The Niners this year, some would say better than the Seahawks. At least record-wise, by half the games. By double the games. And what do we do? Well, that's where we will talk about the, the game itself. The play on the field. Because... After Trenton Cannon gets hurt, you think, okay, we have to reset this tone. We have to kind of reset our emotional clock, our emotional meter, get hyped up again, get revamped, and go out there and play some football. And it's hard to do that. DJ Jones talked about it that, hey, when when Trenton went down, like, it kind of sucked the soul out of us. And that's... Again, that's hard when you're this close to a locker room. This locker room cares so much about every single person in there. They're so tight-knit and close that when one guy gets hurt, when one guy goes down, not to say it creates this kind of weird domino effect where every single person plays bad, but it does affect them emotionally. For better and for worse sometimes. But on Sunday against Seattle, they rekindled that fire they had prior to Cannon getting hurt, and they got a three and out. Oh, great, Seattle's going to punt. Defense came up big. This is how this game's going to be. Despite Cannon being hurt, we're going to get that dub. Defense is playing great. 
The offense gets the ball back. We're going to go down there and at least put up three points. We're going to control this clock. Run it down Seattle's throat and pay them back. Despite Cannon being here, everything is starting how we would expect. How, or the ideal beginning to the game. Well, then then a team backed against the wall, wanting to play spoiler, wanting to save their season, wanting to return, I don't want to say return the favor, but a team that, like Seattle, that has to claw their way out of the corner. Backed against the wall, what do you do? Do you fight or flight? And Seattle, they fought. A freaking 73-75 yard fake punt untouched to the end zone. Talk about deflating. Talk about, you know, three and out, we got them. To, oh my goodness, we're down 6 nothing, Eventually 7 nothing. And you're sitting there and you're probably like me saying, literally only in Seattle would that happen. Only in Seattle would a, one of our players have a serious injury. Call the ambulance out. Get the stretcher out. Then us get a three and out, seemingly recouping the energy we had prior to the game, only for Seattle to do a fake punt for 75 yards. Only in Seattle would that happen. And that started off this weird chain of events, which again makes me, it reminds me of the Colts game, and again, part of that, part of the Bears game. Because the Colts game, it was, well, we're in this till the end, but then things fall apart. Or the Bears game, we're not playing bad. We're just not getting the points on the board. We're having small mistakes that cost us a drive or so. We're great on first and second down, but the third down play is not great. We're great on third down, but a first down fumble cost us. There was always something almost every single drive that hurt us. Offense or on defense. There was very few drives you can point out that were clean. They were great defensively. No big plays allowed. No penalties allowed. It was an ugly game. From beginning to end. And it doesn't help when every every unit on the field really doesn't play well. And I do want to give credit to three people. Because George Kittle... And I mentioned it, and many others did, that he was going to have a big game. This was a George Kittle game. A game where you have to target your best player. Without Debo Samuel, you have to give George Kittle the football. Nine receptions, 181 yards, 20.1 yards per touch, and two touchdowns. George Kittle looked like the best tight end in football yesterday. And he should have. Like, this was a game... Many of us expected him to show out in. And he, and he did that. He was the offense on Sunday. He really was. And on defense, Aziz Al-Shair replacing Fred Warner with the green dot playing Mike Linebacker for the first time in his NFL career. He showed the bleep off. <laughs> 16 tackles, half a sack, one forced fumble. He was all over the field. Yes, he allowed six receptions, but I believe only 11 yards. 
He played dominant football. He gives you confidence if Warner misses a game. Even if Greenlaw's healthy, Al Shire gives you confidence that, eh, yeah, Warner's out, but we have Al Shire. We have depth there. Or we didn't used to have it when Warner came in and Foster was a bust. And then DJ Jones. Get your barbecue sauce out, folks, because DJ Jones. The ascension of DJ Jones has been phenomenal. From a guy who was a six-round pick behind George Kittle in 2018. A guy, oh, excuse me, 2017, excuse me. A guy that many of us said is a really good run defender. Well, with Javon Kinlaw out, he's playing lights out every single down. Three pressures, one forced fumble, an 80-plus PFF grade, 75 total this year PFF grade. He has been phenomenal. So game balls, George Kittle, Al Shire, and DJ Jones. Phenomenal. But outside of that, you will you will find it very hard. You're pressing your luck to find really any other bright spots on Sunday. Now maybe Trent Williams belongs in there, of course. It's Trent. He's a great he's the best left tackle, arguably the less the best left tackle in football. He's like a 99% or 99.1% run block rating. Phenomenal. But outside of those three, maybe four guys, garbage. Garbage. Whether it was interceptions, and we will get into Jimmy Garoppolo. Everyone wants to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We will get into that, trust me. But let's talk about Kyle Shanahan first. Because... It seems like every time we lose, there is this faction, there is a split where it's Shanahan's fault, it's Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. Well, whose fault is it? It's everybody's fault. Shanahan can only do so much. It's up to Jimmy and the rest of the team to execute. Now, you can argue, well, is Shanahan preparing the team well enough? It's a fine argument to make, but we'll never know. And I think they were pretty well prepared against the Rams and the Vikings and the Jaguars. Now, look, I understand the Jaguars stink. The Vikings lost to the Lions. And we have the Rams number. But when we're living in a three-game win streak, does anybody think about that stuff? No. None of us do. It's only when it gets tough and it gets bad that we we start to pout and get upset. And I understand. But why are we pointing fingers? Just say, look, you played bad, you played bad. Oh, guess what? Outside of three or four guys, we all sucked. We didn't deserve to win that game. None of us did. Yeah, were the refs bad? Yeah. Did they miss a DPI on Sidney Jones in the end zone to end the game? Yeah, they did. The freaking misholding call on a Menahue? Yeah, bad call. Was the piss poor, the guy freaking doing the wave in the hands, doing the wave while Lakin Tomlinson just standing next to him and gets a holding call for it? Is that a piss poor call? Yes, it is. The Zebras have sucked. But let's be clear. When 
in the last decade and a half of the NFL have the refs been good. They've always sucked. Every year, they've been bad. That's an overarching conversation we've had for a decade plus as Niner fans, as NFL fans. Whether it's the replacement refs, or the new review system, or the the, the, the no non-called DPI in the Saints and Rams game a couple years back, they've always been bad. Now, should they ever have or ever alter the outcome in a game? No, they shouldn't. Do some teams get certain calls, other teams don't? Yes. Would Brady get a call over Jimmy Garoppolo? Yes. But guess what? Is that fair? No, it's not. It's really not. Does it suck when you're on the other hand of it or the other side of it? Yeah, it does. We know what it's like. Nick Bosa, Chiefs, holding. Three trigger words to make every Niner fan mad. We know that. It's awful, it stinks, and it's unforgivable, but that's the way it is. And you know how you... You know how you can limit what the refs decide? By playing better football. That doesn't excuse them. But you play better football. And again, nowhere in this game, outside of three or four guys, did San Francisco play good football. Special teams. Fake punt. I already talked about it. There are a few other big returns in that game. A few ugly returns in that game. How in the world did they get 148 yards on kick returns? They averaged almost 25 yards per kick return. DJ Dallas... (laughs) had 129 yards on the ground. Now, I said on Twitter, I go, good old Richard Dick Hightower needs to go out there and chew some ass. Because this is inexcusable. A touchdown against the Vikings, okay, whatever, it's a one-off thing. Not a big deal. No, no, look a little deeper. We are the worst special team unit in football. In football. Can anyone call Richie James Jr.? Get him back out there. We'll at least be the 31st ranked. <laughs> this team needs special teams specialists. I'm not saying go go ahead and call Alan Rossum or, or, or uh, you know, Kasim Osgood. I'm not saying that crap. But there's no consistency here. Special teams in San Francisco have been a black hole. And I'm looking at Alan Rossum, Richie James Jr., Arnaz Battle, Maurice Morris. I don't care who your name is. You go back to 2001. We're not good. Brandon Lloyd, for as great as he was, he was not improving the special teams unit. Like, the last good, real special teams player we had, maybe outside of Raheem Mostert, really? But Dan Scuda? Who I liked in the Harbaugh era, but Dan Scuda? Like, come on. It's ridiculous. We're a team vying for the playoffs. They got the worst unit in the league on special teams. And it's really cost us almost 150 yards we gave them on Sunday against Seattle. We're giving them away. We're giving away yards. We're giving away touchdowns. You can't win like this. And I'm going to put it in perspective. So... 
pro football focus this year, again, for what it's worth, great or bad, whether you like it or not, it's a very good starting point. The Niners are the fifth ranked team in football. The fifth. Top five team in the NFL per PFF. With the fourth best offense, the ninth best defense. 24th per PFF in special teams. Now, I'm not saying that that unit costs us the entire game on Sunday. But when you give guys like Kirk Cousin, Russell Wilson, and this trend will likely continue, Joe Burrow, Matt Ryan, Ryan Tannehill, Matthew Stafford, if you give those guys more yardage, a shorter field to work with, they will score. You will lose. There's no contain. There's nothing. Why is Travis Benjamin fielding kicks? He ain't played in four weeks since the Cardinals game. Why is he on the field? Look, is Debo's not healthy? Just go sign someone for all I care. Or guess what? Don't bring up anybody. Now I get the idea of, well, we can take a you got a punt returns. How'd that work? I'd rather you put nobody back there. Travis Benjamin is a minus. He's a negative player. A negative player. Now I get you start him against the Cardinals, or at least you play him against the Cardinals because him and Lance have some chemistry. I get that. Lance ain't playing. We wanted to have some speed out there. No, no, no. That speed, what are you, Al Davis? It cost you. I'd rather you go sign Darius Hager Bay off the market, who's five years out of the league. Anybody. Like, I understand they're limited in personnel, limited in money, but Jesus. I have a friend who's a Charger fan, and when we signed Travis Benjamin, I was like, oh, you know, whatever, it's a depth roll. No big deal. And he, he said, no, no, no. <laughs> He said, uh, we hated him here. Good luck with that. He pulled a, a Pontius Pilate and wiped his hands like he did with Jesus and goes, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm washing my hands of his blood. Like, and, and, enjoy that guy. <laughs> Thank God he's out of town. Uh, but we reap the rewards of an a awful receiver, an awful punt returner, past his prime, who technically we signed to play last year but opted out because of COVID. Now, that doesn't matter in the larger conversation. I understand safety issues, but come on now. Technically, he ain't supposed to be here. So anyways, special teams stinks. It's disgraceful how bad this team has been. For all the conversation of, should I field punts? Is it safe? Can we even block a punt? Can we even tackle somebody returning kicks and punts? Because the answer is no. Disgraceful. Let's go to the defensive side of the football here. The Niners' defense on Sunday, at least in my opinion, and I think the stats back this up, was actually pretty good. In fact, they had three turnovers. We had a huge stop on fourth and one at the goal line to give Jimmy and the offense the ball back to make one final drive to end the game. The defense played great without three of their best players. 
Brett still out. Warner wasn't playing. And then Mosey got hurt after like nine plays on defense. The defense had 24 defensive pressures. That was their most since week eight versus the Bears. So in their three-game win streak, they didn't have that many pressures in one game. It was the third most pressures all season for San Francisco. Nick Bosa, DJ Jones led the way, obviously, but the defensive unit came to play. For as bad as the offense was, the defense said, we'll pick you up. And they faltered somewhat, and that brings me to the injuries. Because, and we've known for a long time, right, that one guy goes down, oh man, it's ugly. And we know that. When Rhett went down, it was ugly. We almost saw a disastrous collapse against the Lions. And when Bosa went down last year, and Solomon Thomas, for what it's worth, went down last year, when D. Ford's been out, even in 2019 when Quan Alexander went down, we know what injuries do to this team. We've seen it. There's no reason to go into it really anymore. But coming into a game where, well, no excuse, you don't have your top corner in Verrett still, we're 12 weeks in, 11 weeks in, going into Sunday, You're relying on guys like Emmanuel Mosley and Josh Norman, who many of us have a love-hate relationship with, and you're wondering, okay, without Fred Warner, who's pretty good in pass coverage, no Dre Greenlaw, who's really good in pass coverage, how is our defense going to make up for that? Well, then Mosley gets hurt. And for what it's worth, Mosley has been very good this year, actually. Very, very, very good. Been one of the better players on this team. He had given up zero touchdowns and now 60 coverage snaps or 51 coverage snaps this season. Still second to Tredavious White for the Buffalo Bills. He's been phenomenal. Really good. Has filled that Verrett role really nicely. He's a good CB2. Always has been, really. May have a bad game here or there, but Mosley has been really good in losing someone like that and then relying on someone like a Dante Johnson. Or in Sunday's case, someone they put in, who I think all of us were excited to see again, was Demo Lenore. And what did he do? And I, right when Mosley got hurt, immediately when Mosley got hurt, I think most of us would have said, oh, it's Lenore. Then I said, if I'm Russell Wilson, I am targeting him the very next play. And well, what happened? They targeted him the very next play, touchdown. I don't know what to say to that. That is a basic football thing. It's a basic football... Any quarterback knows. A new player, let's target him first. See what he can do. Off the bench, hasn't played in a while. Let's see what he can do. Now, it's not Lenore's fault that Mosley got hurt, nor is it his fault that he had a baby and had to miss some time. Congrats to him. But when you don't have depth, that's what happens. When you draft guys who... Really, you're for depth for next season, as Shanahan put it. That's what happens. When you're in games in hostile territory against a team that has their backs up against the wall and your number one cornerback gets hurt, that's what happens. And that is why people say they're unprepared. Now, look, I'm not saying that Lenore can't give up touchdowns. It happens. 
But the mistakes like this, every time we lose, it's a redundant conversation of, well, they should have drafted better. They should have signed this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. If you would have picked Asante Samuel, and I get the conversations, that's who I wanted to pick over Aaron Banks, who didn't even play again. A lot of frustration, a lot of reasons to be frustrated. But on Sunday, it didn't just end with Lenore. Josh Norman. I, oh man. Part of me in my heart wants to quote Anakin Skywalker when he's fighting Obi-Wan and he's on Mustafar in Revenge of the Sith and he's lying on the ground burning and he goes, I hate you! <laughs> With my red eyes and my my violent anger, my blinding anger towards this man because you all listened after the Cardinals game. I ran down him. I go, this bench this guy. Cut this guy. He costs us almost every game. Every game. There's something. It didn't last week. I go, eh, well, you know, maybe I was being too hard on him. You know, uh, he, he has seven forced fumbles. And that's pretty good. And he might be even an X factor. Oh, my goodness. Man, screw this guy. Every single week when he's not forcing a fumble there's penalties there's six missed tackles there's always something with Josh Norman and I talked about it a couple weeks ago about you know why him and Richard Sherman are so different why Sherman adapted and Norman didn't why Sherman has survived and been able to start on NFC championship winning teams and been able to revitalize his career in Tampa Bay again despite the injuries and and why he's able to continue to play consistently in this league despite the issues he's had, the health issues, the field issues. And I explained why Norman, who's relatively healthy, has been an afterthought since he really left Carolina. And every time, every time he does something good, There's 17 things behind him that you go, oh my god. It's like, you know, again, I grew up in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, uh, that show Baggage, I don't know if you ever watched it, it's like a game show on the Game Show Network. (laughs) It's called Baggage. And it's a dating show where there's one contestant, she has to go through the, or or he, he or she, depending on the night, has to go through the the three contenders for their love and see their baggage if it's too much and every single time they go through the next round there's more baggage added to what they have and they reveal more baggage well Josh Norman he's one he is one contender in one in, in one show but he has every single contestant's baggage the Niners there are vying for his love saying what do you have oh you have four fumbles but every single round and there's 17 of them. There's a whole list of baggage. It's like, dude. Come on. I'm tired of the DPIs and the missed tackles. I I am not the fastest. I'm not the strongest. Now I'm, now I'm 6'2", 235, 240. I can definitely carry a load if I need to. <laughs> but I, I can't guard DK. He probably was shoving me to the ground, but I at least try. I'm tired of the arm tackle BS. It doesn't work. 
I'm tired of you trying to grab receivers sideways. You're running past guys and going, oh, I tried. Oh, I tried. And you're following the guy going, oh, I missed him. I missed him. You're celebrating. Balls thrown 20 yards over your head going, look what I did. It's like playing Madden with the guys who are, oh, I stopped him. You did absolutely nothing. You haven't done one thing pretty much other than force fumbles since you've been signed. Like, that's... Oh, man. Josh Norman is run... I didn't take a shower. I feel so dirty thinking about him. <laughs> like, God, this guy. And and I hate to pick on one player. That's not who I want to be. I want to be an overtly positive person on this podcast. And trust me, I'm not giving up on this team. We're 6-6. Six and six. We're 6-6. Six and six. They got five games left. They got the Bengals, who are beatable. Now, they're a good team, but beatable. They got, what, Tennessee... We got Houston. We got the Falcons still. We got the Rams. Those are five winnable games. Now I'm not saying eleven and six by any means. But you give me nine and eight in a playoff berth, okay, that's fine. Now go upset somebody. Like I am not I ain't throwing in the towel by any means. I'm forever faithful, right? But to quote the good old JR from the old WWF AW days, by God. It's a slobber knocker out there. Like, man. It's like, when when the Niners win, they win. And they usually win handily. They run it 47 times, 40 times, 37 times. They are on the field for 37 minutes a game. Jimmy's, you know, he's 18 for 25. Jimmy's 18 for 25. He has 230 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He has a QBR of like 9 or or rating of 93. He has a QBR of like 58. Mitchell has like 130 yards on the ground, two touchdowns, and we're all feeling great, right? Kittle has like six targets. Debo has like seven touches. We're all feeling pretty good, right? We win by 13 points. Oh, three games. And then when we lose, it's like, oh my God, what happened? How are we this bad? And that brings us to Jimmy Garoppolo. And you know me. I'm someone who... I like Jimmy. I don't hate Jimmy by any means. I'm not going to run down the road of Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm not going to sit here and say, Now's the time to start Trey Lance. I'm not going to disparage anybody who thinks you should. I understand both sides of the argument. And at 6-6, six and six, I understand why many of you might say, well, if you would have played them the entire time, they could be 6-6 six and six still. Now, I may not agree with that, but I understand the argument. 6-6 six and six is not ideal. 6-6 six and six is not what any of us predicted. 6-6 six and six is not where we want to be as a team, as a franchise. We know this. They know this as a team. But Jimmy Garoppolo, he, he's so befuddling sometimes. And not because we don't know who he is. Not because we don't understand what Jimmy can do or what he can't do. We, we know. Between the numbers, 
between the hashes, between the tackles. 15 yards, that's the limit, right? But I want to start in that first, I guess, technically second drive of his, because fake punt, they're up 7-0, and what's Jimmy do? Oh, first throw pick. Or second throw pick. Excuse me, second drive, second throw pick. And you're just like, oh my god. Like, what are you looking at? Like, me, as someone watching on TV, was like, he was right there the entire time. And you can tell there is tension building between him and Shanahan. Last week it was the interception against Minnesota is inexcusable. Now it's this week. Those two balls are bad balls. Can't throw those. Jimmy knows better against Seattle. Now, those aren't incorrect things to say. And Shanahan did go on to say that he was trying to use a bigger word than he would usually use when he said inexcusable against Minnesota, but you get the point. Jimmy's throwing bad balls. He's hitting, he's throwing right to defenders. Right to defenders. And he's staring down guys. He's one read, looks, and then goes, okay, no one's open, and then still forces the ball to somebody who's not open. And that's Jimmy Garoppolo, though, isn't it? That's who Jimmy's always been, maybe post-2017. And I don't want to rehash this conversation because it's one we had the entire season last year. Well, Shanahan doesn't trust Jimmy. Shanahan doesn't like Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I don't believe the latter of those two things, but with Jimmy... When Jimmy's really good, you go, oh, that was nice. I feel good. Okay. It's fine. Let me won. Yay. When he loses, you go, oh, you suck. (laughs) And that's kind of, again, it's kind of the duality of Jimmy Garoppolo. Of one drive, he's threading the needle, hitting guys, feeling good. Like, again... His second drive of the game, he throws the pick to Wagner. And you're like, thank God you got out of your system. Then what does he do? Throws like a 30-yard, 40-yard touchdown to George Kittle in the back of the end zone. And like, like, Jimmy, what's going on? Who who are you today? Are you throw right to a defender, Jimmy? Or are you hit Kittle 40 yards behind in back of the end zone, Jimmy? Who are you? So then you kind of settle back down and go, oh, we're going we're gonna to be okay. We're all going to be okay. But then, then they're up 23 to 21. And they fumble the ball in the opening drive of the second half on the kick return. And then Jimmy just isn't himself anymore and he's missing guys wide open. There's a pick again. He just overshoots the receiver. And you're like, dude. What are you looking at? And that's really why they drafted Trey Lance, right? That That's why. Jimmy sucked on Sunday. He was bad. Now, he had two touchdowns, and I get that, but he was really bad. Really, really, really bad. He was 20 for 30, 299 yards. That in itself is not bad at all, really. Two TDs and two picks. If he doesn't make the bone 
headed decisions. If he doesn't throw two picks, they win this game. That's how simple this is. Now, there are many other areas, obviously, that change this game. Special teams, penalties, turnovers. But the picks are controllable things that are the issue. Sometimes penalties happen. And I do want to call out Arden Key here for just one small second. I swear to God, if I see a defensive player like Arden Key, go watch the replay. He he didn't just like hit Russell Wilson. He jumped up in the air to level himself with Russell Wilson's helmet, then did a flying headbutt at him. What are you doing? You can't. You can leave the Raiders, but you cannot take the Raider out of the player. Stupid. What are we thinking? Anyways, back to Jimmy Garoppolo. There are things... like Jimmy technically was better than Russell Wilson. Wilson just didn't turn the ball over twice. That's the difference. Stupid mistakes that cost us. And Jimmy's a part of that. He really is. I don't care how you want to spin it. Oh, it wasn't Jimmy's fault. No, no. Jimmy played like garbage. They had 12 more plays than us. They had the ball seven, almost seven more minutes than us. Now, let's be clear. Sustaining a 37 TOP, a 37-minute, 38-minute time of possession is really hard to do and why it was an anomaly for three weeks. I get that. The Seahawks came into this game with the worst TOP in almost league history since 2000. And they held the ball more than we did. And every mistake we made compounded on each other. On the red zone, one for two, them three for five. Stupid mistakes. 10 penalties, 86 yards. We're giving them free yards. You combine the penalties, again, 86 yards, with the special teams, 148 yards, almost 230 yards free. Free yards. Inexcusable. You can't do that if you want to win. And that's why it's so frustrating because, it, and despite all that stuff, despite every single one of the mistakes, we were on the three yard line. The three yard line. And we almost had a chance. And if you're like me, who has a really good memory of things in regards to moments in my life that matter, whether they hurt, or they are amazing. When that ball got batted down because Tom Compton got manhandled playing right tackle, didn't it bring you back? I want you to think for a little bit. Where did it bring you back to? A little place called Miami, huh? Maybe versus Chiefs. Maybe final drive of the Super Bowl 
maybe one of those places. That's what brought me. It's like, is my person playing right guard right now? Like, what's going on? And, again, Dunlap gets credit here for doing his job. But it just, man. I told you. I told you. This right side of the offensive line is not sustainable. And I'm not even saying Compton was bad the entire game. But on two, two pivotal plays, he messed up. The safety, you can blame Jimmy all you want. Well, he should have thrown it away. That's intentional grounding, first off. So it's two, it's two points anyways. And Tom Compton didn't guard his man. Jimmy hadn't even finished his drop back yet, and there was a guy in his face. What do you want the guy to do? This team can't survive the right side of the offensive line. Now, you don't prep for injuries. McGlinchey getting hurt, Skule getting hurt. You don't prep for that stuff. In in the offseason, post-draft, you have an idea of, okay, uh, Williams is going to play left tackle. You have Tomlinson, Mack, Brunskill, McGlinchey. Cool, we're okay there. Moore's going to play left guard, left tackle. Uh, Skew will hopefully play right tackle. Like We, we got some guys here. Jacob Brendel might play center. Uh, Brunskill will play right guard. Aaron Banks might be ready to play 2021. Well, we'll see. We have some guys, right? None of that has worked. Banks can't play. Morris sucks at right tackle. And you're reliant on a guy like Tom Compton, who, again, didn't play awful all game. In fact, one of our highest-rated players per PFF. But Jesus, when it matters most, he falls apart. I told you after that Jaguars game, that's my biggest concern of this team. My biggest concern is that right side of the offensive line. Jimmy will be Jimmy. But Jesus, man. Jesus. You can't survive this way. You can't win this way. You can't... Uh, you... Oh, man. I'm... Uh, it's so tough because we're right there, right? Seattle losses hurt the most. This has been a venting process for me, for sure. But that's why Jimmy's stats are deceiving sometimes. That's why... Going to Seattle is a place of voodoo and witchcraft. Just again, we could have been eleven to zero and still lost, and it still would hurt just as much, right? But I do want to leave you with something today that is maybe a more positive note. Despite losing to Seattle, despite the embarrassment of it, despite not being able to end that era, despite. Not securing our seventh win of the year and still being in the sixth seed, one game behind the Rams, right? On Sunday, we lost. Six and six, not ideal. But there's five games left. There's five games to prove who we are, there's five games to bounce back. We're better than Washington, we are better than the Rams. The Cowboys are inconsistent. The Vikings stink. The Eagles, we have the tiebreaker. The Saints don't have a quarterback. The playoff hoop is still alive. Maybe tough game against the Bengals. Even if we lose against the Bengals. Got Atlanta. We can beat the Falcons. The Texans. We can beat the Texans. 
right there is eight wins in my opinion. In Tennessee, it's tough. There's a pretty good chance we're eight and eight going into week eighteen. And what does that mean? The Los Angeles Rams, who they have to play the Cardinals still. They have tough games still. I'm not saying this seed here we come. We're only two games out. Take a deep breath and carry on. We're okay. It's frustrating, right? Lance ain't getting the start next week, barring an injury. Warner should be back. Debo will hopefully be healthy again. We'll see. But now a game plan has to change. You can't lose a game when Debo isn't playing. You can't lose a game when George Kittle has nine catches for 180-plus yards and two touchdowns. You can't lose that way. Someone's got to step up, right? It can't just be Kittle. It can't just be Ayuk, who had, what, one catch in the fourth or the first three quarters of the game. He can't do that. You can't get out of your game plan because Jimmy throws a pick. Kyle Shanahan talked about, you know, putting in Lance affected me. Well, so you run a read option with Jimmy Garoppolo? Uh, what? No, you don't do that. He's not that quarterback. He's not that guy. You're not that guy, pal, trust me. But despite all of that stuff, despite the frustration of Josh Norman, he will be healthier. We will bounce back. The last time we played the Bengals, we took it to them in 2019. Now, they're a better team by far. I understand that. But the towel isn't being thrown in. We're not waving the white flag. Now is the time on December 6th to rally the troops. And we'll see what the injury report says for this week. But now it's time to get to marching, lace up them bootstraps, get your Niner gear on, take the trip to Cincinnati, root this team on, sit in front of your TV with your coffee and your friends at 125 next week while you're watching CBS. Let's be 7-6. and six. We can. At some point this year, we're going to be in the playoffs. It will happen. I have full confidence in this team still. And as we go on through the season, we lost four games in a row. And one game against Seattle feels like those four losses, right? But it's not. It isn't that bad. Yeah, being one and four in the division stinks. But it'll feel a lot better when we're two and four and we're the sixth, maybe fifth seed in the playoffs, won't it? When we're playing a team like maybe Green Bay, who... We had beat this year. We really did. Maybe a team like Cowboys who are very inconsistent. We just don't know what the future holds. It's a week-to-week basis right now. And as of this moment, despite the loss, I still have 100% confidence in this team to make it to the playoffs. And we'll see where we go, where this path takes us. But back against the wall... Money on the line. 
Shanahan, Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Fred Warner, Nick Bosa, Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, any of us will put our money on those guys. Five weeks left to prove what they're made of. Five weeks left to continue this ride that we started in 2017 with Jimmy Garoppolo. Five weeks left to cap off what will likely be the end of this era. Five weeks left to continue this season. And my money is still on the San Francisco 49ers to at least make the playoffs. And if we get in, anything can happen. Anything. Alright guys, we're going to end today's podcast by telling you all to follow us on social media. Instagram, Twitter, 49ers.access, 49ers underscore access. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave a review. My name is Sterling Bennett. This has been the 49er Access Podcast. And until next time, stay faithful. Stay faithful.